Hey, hey, hey. Thanks very much indeed for showing up for this. Episode 17 of the What's Racing About podcast. The Wrap. The podcast that ensures that you get the most out of UK and Irish horse racing. My name's Peter Bell, and the Cheltenham Festival is now disappearing into our rearview mirrors. How did it all go for you? Well, I hope. As a racing fan, there's always the temptation to move quickly on to the next race or race meeting without ever looking back at what there is to be learned and drunk in from the recent past. So with that mindset, here's the wraps few minutes in your ears with our take on Cheltenham 2022. Not just the racing, but the whole epic gathering of the clans in our little corner of the Cotswolds. On which note, as someone who turned up for each of the four days, it's sad to underline the general feeling held by many race guys that this year Cheltenham really did feel like one gigantic rip-off. Yes, we love the festival, and the whole season still pretty much revolves all around it. For anyone whose heart beats that much faster to jumps racing, Cheltenham has the cure and we're all sick, but it's only so far that price inelasticity can go before even the most ardent jumps fan says enough is enough. If you didn't go, then you will certainly have heard about the sky-high costs of parking, of drinks, food, all this on top of your entry costs. Now, Cheltenham can justify this however much they like, comparing it with the costs of other major sporting events, and they'll point out that Thursday and Friday were sold out well in advance. But the fact is, when a round of drinks for you and your six mates comes to over 50 quid, then you feel deflated before a race is even run. For me, well, I left the course on the Friday feeling I was nothing more than an economic unit to be exploited, not a customer, or better still, an advocate and a fan to be cherished. Cheltenham has to decide if it wants to be a driving force behind UK horse racing PLC or behind UK horse racing the sport. If it's the former, then go introduce your fifth day. Charge even more per day for less races and tell yourself you're giving everyone a chance to attend. Hell, first year you do it, you'll probably smash all records with folks turning up for the novelty value of the Cheltenham Festival on a Saturday until they realise they're watching nothing more than watered down tat. A Gymkhana, where pretty much everyone that turns up gets a rosette, and the now empty kudos of having a Cheltenham winner. At which point, my guess is that those attending will vote with their leisure pound and head for the Premier League, or the Six Nations Rugby, or won't even bother turning out at all if the weather looks a bit ropey, because deep down they don't appreciate what they're watching, and certainly don't understand the culture and history of what the Cheltenham Festival once was. Whilst we're on the subject of the weather too, the decision to water on Tuesday evening, ahead of the monsoon on Wednesday that turned the course and surrounding areas into a reenactment of the Somme, has to be questioned. More importantly, so does the arrogance of the course executive in doubling down on their mistake, saying they would do exactly the same again next year if faced with similar circumstances. So basically, they wouldn't take a wider sample of forecasts. They wouldn't wait slightly longer before turning on the taps. They wouldn't consult with a wide sample of trainers, jockeys and owners as to the course of action that they should be taking. They wouldn't reconsider the strategy to produce so-called safer racing ground at the expense of horses that act on good ground or better. And they would accept the non-runners of Wednesday, including Brave Man's Game and, to all intents and purposes, Shishkin, two leading lights of the jump season, to be merely collateral damage to their fixation on watering. Like I said, for me, that's pure pig-headedness when a sorry we got it wrong on this occasion would have gone a long way to mollifying their core customer base. 
But as I've postulated, that particular demographic can seemingly just go swivel. Look, it gives me no pleasure to tear into Cheltenham Racecourse like this. I know they're good-hearted people, and I hope it's obvious through this and all the other rap episodes that I love the festival with my life. And I've had some of the finest times in my life there, both at the course and during the week, meeting up with friends old and new, and experiencing the sheer abandonment of being a racegoer, talking and laughing with racegoers about racegoing and everything that goes with it. Please, Cheltenham, don't take me for granted, and don't take me for a fool. Okay, on to the racing now. And before the festival, the rap, along with many others, thought that the best race of the festival could well be the Supreme Novices, which will be over and done with by about 1.36 on Festival Tuesday. We probably weren't that far wrong either because, Jesus, Constitution Hill was magnificent. For me, in pure what-the-hell-have-I-just-witnessed-their terms, its performance was right up there with Masterminded's first champion chase win. Now, I've heard folks crabbing this already, saying Sir Gerhard and Vauban and Uncle Tom Cobley and all weren't there, but he reduced quality opposition to also-rans, basically, and immediately bought up the prospect of a mouth-watering clash with Honeysuckle, and more of her shortly, either at Punchestown later on this season, or back here in the Champion Hurdle next season, assuming that's the route Nicky Henderson goes down with Constitution Hill. John Bond surely got to go novice chasing, with the Arkle more than just a gleam in his trainer's eye. Of those behind him, Dysart Dynamo lived to fight another day after his fall, and Kilcrup may be forced to be forever the bridesmaid over the next couple of seasons if he's kept to hurdling. The Arkle chase didn't look a vintage renewal, largely because there was no outstanding previous season novice hurdler in the field. Not that that will have bothered Alan King one iota after Edwardston returned to the winner's enclosure. Next season will test his professionalism when going up against Inugamain and Shishkin, but he's an exciting addition to throw into that heady mix. The ultimate handicap chase should be more than just a footnote to Tuesday racing, highlighting as it did one of the best rides of the festival for me, beaten only by Danny Mullins' piloting of floor importer in the Stairs Hurdle. Derek Fox's Ice for Blood hold-up ride on Corak Rambler was an absolute carnival. Tom Scudamore once again underlined his ability in Cheltenham Festival handicap races, steering the gambled on Jericho Roquet into second, but he was powerless against Fox's late thrust on the winner. Onto the champion hurdle, and what can you say about Honeysuckle that hasn't already been said? It was great that jockey Rachel Blackmore got a day in the metaphorical sunshine on board the popular Irish champion mare after winning in front of empty stands last year. A great event in its own right, never mind underlining her claims in a face-off with Constitution Hill, if and when that happens. Finishing off with my thoughts on the Tuesday, it was great for me that hot favourite Gaelic Warrior got beaten in the juvenile handicap hurdle. Now, I've got no beef with the horse or its connections, but a win for a horse sent off the warm favourite that never seen a UK racecourse until this race would have been a victory for those, quote, in the know and in the inner circle close to trainer Willie Mullins and also those who simply follow the money when such a, inverted commas, those in the know punt develops momentum. This is a major turn-off for a form-driven punter like myself, so hats off to Brazil and to his connections for spoiling that particular party. Not that, ultimately, it would have ruffled Willie Mullins' feathers one little bit, given what was to come for him and for his team. 
Wednesday, as we've already highlighted, blew in with rain, followed by rain, and with a side order of rain, turning Presbury Park into a sea of beastly mud and umskar. So Gerhard took the opening Ballymore novice hurdle in pretty straightforward enough fashion for an odds-on shot, tanking throughout the race and showing great acceleration to settle matters at the final flight. This wasn't a particularly flashy performance, but it did underline the Gelding's chances back over two miles next season, where a potential clash, or hopefully clashes plural, with either or both of Constitution Hill and Honeysuckle awaits. Robbed of the favourite Brave Man's Game, withdrawn due to the now heavy ground, the three-mile novice chase fell into the lap of Long Presse, who gave jockey Charlie Deitch his first festival winner. My immediate thought after the winner crossed the line was, there's next season's King George Chase winner, as a quick three miles around Kempton looks tailor-made for him. Three and a quarter miles round here in the Gold Cup, though, next year. Right now, I have my doubts. Confession time, I've got a well-weird bucket list, and I'm fully prepared to admit to it. Top of it is to back the winner of the Coral Cup just once. 26 years I've been taking a swing at this one, and 26 years I've been about as much used as a condom in a nunnery. Needless to say, my pokes, ganpathy and drop the anchor run like drains, and are still probably strolling somewhere around Somerset for all the impact they made during the race. Commander in Fleet 1, underlining, I would argue, the poor week Gordon Elliott had, considering the, quote, savage team he sent over to Gloucestershire this time around. Two winners from his battalions of greatness, and reiterating, Commander of Fleet was an unconsidered 50-1 to 1 shot, so it was hardly one of these savage types based on market sentiment. The performance of his team was hardly what he would have expected, and it must sit badly with him next to Willie Mullins's 10 gold medalists. Speaking of which, Enugamini. What a great call this was by our friend Wayward Lad. Go back and give the last episode of The Rap a listen and read his blog for a balls-out nailing of colours to the mass take on how Enugamini would win the champion chase and precisely the tactics he would employ to do so. Shishkin, as we know, never turned up and though Nicky Henderson was quick to blame the ground, which of Shishkin and Enugamini had the tougher race at Ascot in January, do you think? Maybe, just maybe, Shishkin left the champion chase in Berkshire in January based on his performance last Wednesday. I've gone on record at great and probably at very tedious length about my loathing of the cross-country chase. Nonetheless, I'm a sucker for an emotional story on all true racing fans, and Tiger Roll oh so nearly gave us the tear-jerking finish to his career that we all wanted to see. In hindsight, with our flinty-eyed punters hats on, eventual winner Delta Work was probably the best bet of the week. Here's a horse who had been plying his trade in Grade 1 races for three years, now fetching up in an egg and spoon race, basically. It was a shame that Delta Works jockey Jack Kennedy got booed for ruining the fairy tale, but it was equally huge of Davy Russell to recognise what was happening and to walk into the winner's enclosure beside him. The Tiger and the winner both, quite rightly, sharing what applause there was. The concluding bumper on the Wednesday was all but called off, with standing water on the track at this point and the monsoon showing no signs of abating. It was actually still trickling down when I left the Prince of India curry house in Stow on the Wold at 10 o'clock that night. For me, the one to take out the race was third place James's Gate, for whom this was only his second race course outing. He'll be aimed at the Ballymore Hurdle, since he's owned by the race's sponsors, which bookends Festival Wednesday next year, and at this stage looks a sound bet for that race at around 14 to 1. On to Thursday then, where the weather couldn't have been any more different. 
and the ground was already drying out to soft, good to soft in places after a morning of sun and a stiff breeze. The day got off to the unedifying spectacle of a forerunner championship race for two and a half mile novice chasers. You'll have seen the race and you know what happened racing wise, so my comments are reserved, though unbroadcastable, for those race goers who cheered Galopin de Champs' four at the last fence with the race seemingly won. If you take nothing else away from this podcast, please never ever cheer a faller. Period. It's classless and it makes you look stupid. The Ryanair chase was once again turned into Alaho first, fresh air second, for the second year in a row. In the antipost market, the horse had either convincingly beaten all of his market rivals several times, or those rivals were like to run in a different race. All Alaho had to do was stroll round, jump economically, and that would be that, and so it proved, and it'll take a brave punter to go against him doing the three-peat in this race in 2023, such is his dominance at this intermediate trip. The second championship race of the day, the Stayers Hurdle, saw Danny Mullins get his timing spot on to the second, setting off in front and never seeing another rival until the unsaddling enclosure, where Mullins and the horse experienced the reception of the week from his boisterous and good-natured owners and seemingly half of Ireland that had blagged their way into the winner's enclosure. Time Hill and Paisley Park both delivered their usual strong finishes, but had given the winner too much rope whilst Champ, now aged 10, simply didn't have the firepower of old to get onto the podium. Ditto favourite Classical Dream, who pulled away his chances with another headstrong display, fighting his jockey for much of the race and consequently having nothing to give at the finish. The plate handicap chase delivered one of the stories of the festival, with Cheltenham perennial Cool Cody, another one to make all the running for victory. Now, presumably it was his age, he's a veteran of 11 years now, that put punters off his chances, meaning he went off at an unconsidered 22 to 1. However, he loves the course through and through, and is a standing dish in these two and a half mile handicap chases throughout the season, where he always gives his running, popping away out in front, irrespective of the ground conditions or the quality of the opposition. On to Friday then, with the ground now riding good to soft, soft in places after a further drying day. Vorban took the triumph hurdle and in doing so gave the form a really strong look, beating second and third favourites Phil Dore and Pied Piper into second and third place. As to the future, well, triumph hurdle winners generally have a tough time of it as five-year-olds when, realistically, their aim is the champion hurdle. Vorban may go down this route with a clash with Honeysuckle and Constitution Hill, a thought to keep us all tumescent over the next 12 months. But before that, there's a small matter of a potential tilt at the Melbourne Cup on the flat in Australia later this year as the more mid-term target for the horse. The county hurdle saw Stateman run like a graded horse in a handicap and in winning the race became yet another, though slightly further left field candidate for next year's champion hurdle. I tell you, if all the horses I've mentioned do go for this race and remain fit, it'll be one of the races of a lifetime, never mind just the 2023 festival. Personally, on a purely punting level, the Albert Bartlett novice hurdle was the race of the festival for me, since I'd not only been crapping on about the chances of Bardenstown lad, but I'd actually been backing him each way since January, and then went in again on the place-only markets, on the tote, and on Betfair on the day of the race. The nice guy and Minella Kakuna ran away with the exacter placings, but my lad stayed on well from the back, like his breeding and his grinding, never-say-die racing style said he would, to take an easy third place. Better ground will see him to better effect, 
and he could be a grand national horse in a couple of years' time. So, on to the Gold Cup. It might seem churlish for my first comment on the race is that surely Asterian Falange would have been the only horse capable of giving Alaho a race if he'd taken his chance in the Ryanair chase on the Thursday. Jumping exuberantly and accurately for a change out in front, if occasionally to the right, it was simply a question of the race distance beating him as he ran out of stamina at the bottom of the hill. My mate Wayward Lad commented afterwards that he may have been in the race to ensure a strong gallop for joint owned stable mate Album Photo, who knows. You have to hand it to Henry de Bromhead, Rachel Blackmore and the winner, A. Plutard, for their victory was thoroughly deserved and took you back to their romp in the Betfair chase at Haydock last November in terms of the manner in which the horse travelled throughout the race and then put the race to bed after the last fence. It could hardly have been described as a blip his short head second place to Galvin at Christmas in the Savills chase. He was simply beaten by a better horse on the day. But A. Plutard has his revenge here, reversing the 2021 placings with stablemate Manella Indo, who seems to come alight at Cheltenham in March. Protectorat remains a young, lightly raised competitor for whom next season will be geared entirely around this race. But meanwhile, the Betfair bowler Aintree beckons, provided he came out of this year's Gold Cup with no ill effects. If the plan to censor on next year's Gold Cup does come off, it'll be a proper hurrah for his owner John Hales, who had his dreams of Gold Cup glory with his fantastic horse One Man, scuppered on a couple of occasions back in the 1990s. Well, that was a not-so-brief overview of Cheltenham 2022 from The Wrap. It's all there now in the form book and on the replay section of Racing TV. I really hope it was good for you. And here's to us all meeting up again in 2023, the racing gods willing. Onwards and upwards then, my boys and girls. And Cheltenham's now in the past, of course. So it's time for the flat season to rear its not-so-ugly head in the shape of the Lincoln meeting, which goes ahead at Doncaster this weekend. The big race itself is obviously the Lincoln Handicap. I've got no real preference in that race. But I always take a look at the Brocklesby, which is the first two-year-old race of the flat season. A broadcaster, podcaster and writer I really admire is Tony Calvin. And he wrote in his Betfair column last week that if you think you know the winner of the 19-strong Brocklesby at 1.15 on Saturday, then please keep it to yourself. If betting in a contest full of unraced two-year-olds is your bag, then seek urgent help. Well, Tony, I know what the winner is. <laughs> so I'm nailing my colours to the mast of Blatant. Blatant is sent out by Eve Johnson Horton, who won the race last year. At this stage in the two-year-old season, maturity plays a very important part in a horse's performance. Blatant is actually the oldest horse in the race, foaled on the 15th of February. In addition to representing last year's winning connections and the age maturity, it's got a very good profile in terms of, it, of its breeding. It conforms to a lot of the st- statistics that I look at in the dosage profile, which I've t- touched on in the past, which is my initial sift when looking at a race. Plus also it's by the sire Brazen Bow, who has a pretty decent hit rate with two-year-olds that he produces. And in addition, Johnson Horton knows a way around producing a two-year-old fit to win first time out. Blatant will do for me. I think favourite at this stage is likely to be the very expensively purchased Persian force represented by Richard Hannon and jockey Ross Ryan. But I'm going to go in with Blatant for the reasons that I've outlined at around about 8-1, to I think, on Betfair at the moment. Hopefully that will get us off to a good start to the flat season. 
that's the end of this podcast. So thanks indeed, uh, very much indeed to everyone for showing up as usual. If you've got any comments or any thoughts you'd like to send across to me, that's great. You can go to the website, which is www.rap.chat, or you can send me an email, rap.chathelp at gmail.com. Look forward to interacting with you. But until the next time, for now, this is a wrap. Mm-hmm.